Welcome to What She Said. My name is Candace Sampson, and when I first took over What She Said in January 2020, I jokingly asked in the intro, what could possibly go wrong? And then 2020 said, let me show you. My life has been a country song ever since, but then again, so is everyone else's right now. Thankfully, through this podcast, I get to meet the most amazing women in Canada and around the globe and share their stories with you. What She Said is here to talk about anything and everything under the sun as interpreted by and through the perspective of women. Because honestly, we've heard what he said for long enough. If you like what you hear, be sure to hit subscribe and share this podcast with a friend. Today's show is coming right up. Some have called 2020 a dumpster fire, but my next guest says it's more like a forest fire, actually. She is an awarding futurist and a senior associate at the Future Today Institute. She combines research with unhindered creativity and grounded organizational practice to imagine and realize new worlds. She joins me to share some insights into what our future might hold, and it's not necessarily all bleak. It really depends on if we're willing to listen to the experts or not. That being said, based on how well we've listened in the past, maybe it is a little bleak. I regrettably also asked her to share her biggest fear with me, and now that I've heard of a cyberpunk dystopian society, I can't unhear it. So I might as well have some company from my latest anxiety-inducing obsession. Meet Leah Zadie, who shares some of her predictions with us for the future. Hi, Leah. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So um, I guess the first question is, you know, were you as a futurist, did you sort of have a handle that this reality might come down? Yeah, so when we do foresight work, what we do is we look at a variety of scenarios that can emerge in the future. And some of those futures are really great and high-spirited, and some of them are not so great. Um, And so pandemics are one of those things that do come up from time to time in the work. Um, In my work personally, it came up as recently as December when we were talking about climate change. Um, And uh, yeah, so there have been scenarios that have been laid out previously that look specifically at pandemics and what the scenario around a pandemic could potentially look like around the world. The factor that is difficult to predict is exactly when it's going to happen and what all the potential cascading effects could be, like the different policies that might kick into effect, how different countries might handle the different the situation. So while we can say that a pandemic isn't really a black swan, like totally unexpected event, um, it is difficult to predict exactly how people people might react to it. Right. I mean, I mean, you simply need to look at how the, re- the reactions going around right now, mm-hmm. uh, you know, every government is acting differently, dip- uh, different political stripes are acting differently. Uh, I don't think anybody could have predicted that wearing masks would have become a political issue. Right. Yeah. Right. So yeah, that's a, that's a hard one probably to call. So I'm just, I'd like to backtrack though. You said you were talking about this in December as it relates to global warming. So why was that? 
Okay, so this is a little weird, so hang in there with me. I'll explain why I was doing such a weird thing. Um, but I was at UNESCO in December as part of a global forum, and uh, I went and ran a session using Avengers Endgame um, as a scenario. So that seems like it's totally out there, like you know Thanos coming into the world and doing his big bad stuff. Um, but the reason why I chose that scenario is because in Infinity War, and spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't watched it, you might want to plug your ears right now, there's a moment where he snaps his finger and 50% of the world's population disappears. So that particular scenario of 50% of the world's population disappearing is a strange scenario, but it's something that we could look at, especially in the context of climate change, when some of these worst scenarios around climate change begin to emerge. So what happens to humanity and the population when climate change hits something like four degrees? Right. So if we're looking at a four degree increase, um, the carrying capacity of the planet could potentially go down to something like one billion people. We have about eight billion now. Right. So that's an extreme scenario. And so I put this forward to a group and we started to talk about climate change and things that could happen. And one of the realizations that the group had was that if we want to understand how to behave in the context of climate change, we might need to look at pandemics and plagues because there's a lot of similarities there, which was excellent that they hit upon that point. So I just wrote an article, um, or sorry, I should say a chapter in a book that's coming out next year, and it draws upon how COVID is related to climate change and how it could inform thinking around that. One of the things that we know is going to happen with climate change is the spread of infectious disease. So that's a noted factor. There's a lot that we're seeing around COVID that is also very similar to what we would see in a climate change scenario, which is things like increase in domestic violence, the political uh, unrest, destabilization of systems. So these sort of things have a relationship with what's going on right now. Um, so there's learning that can happen right now that can inform thinking around climate change later. Right. Okay. So... I, I, and I agree. I mean, I've read a lot about that. There's a connection between obviously climate change and these viruses. And so is there any sort of model where you've looked at, okay, because we know the world doesn't stop because there's a pandemic. So is there any sort of model where you've looked at there's a pandemic and uh, climate change is obviously going to keep happening and then maybe another pandemic. So are these kinds of scenarios, things that you look at? Yeah, and we want to look at it as, um, you know, a scenario as a complex prototype of the future, acknowledging that a whole bunch of different things could clash and happen at once. So um, one of the things I like to remind people of is that when we're talking about things like the future of work, that conversation tends to be centered around AI and automation, um, even though that's an issue for women, and that is also an issue about climate change. Uh, you know, the future of work is happening on this planet, <laughs> so it's not going to happen on a bubble outside of, uh, you know, everything else. Um, so all of these issues will collide. And so we need to think about where is everything heading as a system? Um, where are the, the changes that we're going to see happening? And what are those secondary implications that are going to come into effect as they do? So uh, there's a lot of people who are calling, you know, the pandemic a black swan, like this is a once in a lifetime event. We heard that same sort of rhetoric around the recession around 10 years ago, like, oh, this is a once in a lifetime recession. No, it's not. Um, but with issues like climate change, especially something like pandemics could happen more often. 
Right. And, you know, when you say that, I, I, I think myself of flooding recently, you know, uh, people say, oh, that's a hundred year flood. Well, that hundred year flood has happened, you know, 10 times in the last 20 years. So right. that sort of thing will start to repeat itself. So let's talk about the future then from, from this point. Now, mm-hmm. because now I imagine you are frantically trying to imagine what futures look like uh, now that COVID is here. So what does it look like for women in particular? Yeah, so um, pandemics affect men and women differently. Uh, There's some acknowledgement that needs to happen around that. Um, So in terms of what we've seen already so far, sometimes situations like these can exasperate inequality and set women's movements back. So um, we know that, for instance, at the beginning of this uh, pandemic, women saw greater job losses. Um, That has to do in in part with the the fact that women tend to work more part-time jobs. Um, Women are being affected differently in part because we are more likely to be essential workers. So we're frontline workers in this situation as well. And again, then there's a whole uh, confluence of other issues that are emerging. For instance, the fact that, you know, lockdown has exasperated issues around domestic violence as well. And so now the question is, we know this is happening and we know that this can potentially uh, produce a setback for women. How do we then design strategies for the future that account for this so that we're ensuring that women aren't left behind? So it's thinking about like, how is the system going to evolve economically? Where are the inequalities? How do we address those? How do we find uh, solutions that are maybe being implemented elsewhere that could um, help improve our systems and strengthen our systems as well. Uh, So I think one of the um, big questions that's being looked at that is also a women's issue is around childcare, right? So childcare is a big issue. um, But if we go back to work, that means daycares have to open up again, schools have to open up again as well. And so is there a way to use that opening to support women? better and to ensure that there are jobs and that the jobs that have been lost in the past little while are recovered through means like that. So I'm curious as a futurist, then you look at what the future could look like. Are you also looking and trying to assess opportunities as well that may come out of these, you know, uh, times of, of, of unrest? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the real point of doing futures work is to design for today. So it's not about necessarily just designing what's going to come next. It's thinking about, well, if there's a spectrum of possibilities that could emerge, some of those futures could include, you know, dark things like climate change and more pandemics. But some of them can also include very transformative things like UBI and, you know, a high spirited community oriented feeling in society. And so what do we need to know now in order to respond? Respond to what could be emerging and how do we design strategies that will hold up regardless of what future emerges so that we're not in a state of being reactive and you know constantly in crisis but we're proactive and we're thinking about it ahead of time um, so one of the things that I've advocated for is looking at economic redesign how do we redesign the economy this is an opportunity to do that right um, so that you know once we start to emerge out of lockdown we're not asking people to go back to systems that don't work for them or systems that leave people behind um, is there a different way to think about the economy that can lead us to a better place a more transformed place a more equitable place and um, something that works for everybody instead of just the few Right. So, you know, uh, let's, let's pause on the pandemic for a second. And mm-hmm. because you say, you know, you look at everything. So have you, how have you been looking at the Black Lives Matter movement in terms of where that's going to go sort of next? I, I personally, I feel like 
we're at a tipping point with that movement, which has been around for a long time, but mm. has obviously, um, you know, become very uh, big this year. So are we at a tipping point? Will, will we see change from this moment? I think we will. I think there's some positive changes that could come next. The thing to keep in mind is that there are still going to be some tension points. So the battles that are being played out right now, they're not going to be easily forgotten right by both sides um so we have to to be mindful of how our culture continues to evolve and how our society continues to evolve knowing that these tensions are there and exist um one of the things that i've been reminding people of is that there is no image of the future of a preferred future that has been shared more that has been heard more um that has resonated more than martin luther king jr's i have a dream speech Right, and that was 60 years ago. Um, so having that vision of the future is one aspect of it, but that vision gets fought for over many, many years, sometimes over decades, and it requires sometimes painful change, right, for society to to undergo in order to reach a better place. And so what we have to to remember is that we need to think about what that vision for the future is. Where, what do we want for equality and what do we want for the Black Lives Matter movement? And I think, you know, they're doing a pretty good job of articulating what it is that they're looking for from the rest of us. Um, and then to, to think about what are the steps, the meaningful steps that we can take. Um, that's for the movement, but it's also for us as allies. How do we support that initiative? And so there is hope on the horizon, I think, but that hope is going to probably come with some, some tension that is going to be residual and continue to play out that we need to be mindful of. Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be this big Pollyanna moment where we all come together. There's obviously, we're fighting some big, uh, some big systemic issues here, which will take a long time to change. Um, so what do you think are the opportunities then? You know, let's talk about some positives. Mm-hmm. What, are, what are some things people can be looking at to do? Uh, maybe, you know, if they're looking for a new career opportunity, where do you think those things sort of lie for us? Yeah, um, you know, not to fall into the trap of using the pandemic to be your best self, because, you know, this is also an emotionally exhausting moment for everybody, like we only have so much capacity. Um, but crisis can create opportunity as well, right? Um, so I've, uh, I've been thinking about this in terms of how I want to uh, align my values to the future that I want. And, you know, am I uh, acting in a way, behaving in a way that reflects the kind of reality that I want to emerge? And if not, do I need to sort of do an audit on myself to look at where I'm disaligned and how I need to change my behavior to match that? I'm also thinking about, you know, what happens um, in the near term when different scenarios play out. So one of the scenarios that is probably important to consider is opening up slowly. Right. When we go back to work slowly, when there's a bit of a staggered start to things, what does that mean, you know, for different aspects of your life, for your finances, for your relationships, uh, for your job and evaluating what you're going to do and thinking about it and thinking about whether or not there's opportunity for you to make changes, but also what you can do now to prepare for that reality. And then you want to think about something like that in contrast to, let's say, if we go back into lockdown. What does that mean? If we're in lockdown again in the fall, because we might see a second wave potentially at that time, 
how does that change things like your job and your relationships and your finances and all that good stuff? So if you're thinking about that, then you want to then again, step back and say, okay, well, what is it that I can do now? What can I do now to prepare for that emerging reality? Um, and are there things that you can do potentially now that allow you to do well, regardless of which of those two things happen? Um, so it's careful planning, but I think having that view of what could happen and then understanding what your game plan is personally for yourself and, you know, acknowledging that that game plan might look different from somebody else's game plan might alleviate some of the stress around this. So you help businesses and, uh, you know, uh, governments and, and, and organizations find sort of a path through things. Um, so, you know, I, who are you, who are you sort of without naming names, who are you sort of helping to guide right now? What industries are you, are you helping to guide? Yeah, uh, government is a big one, right? Because that's the one that affects us all. Um, policy is a very powerful tool. So we want to start looking at how, um, you know, policies of the future could potentially be implemented now as opposed to later. And what are those uh, tension points that we can leverage off of and build off of? Um, I, I think my work has also probably been picked up quite a bit by research institutes that also tend to cater to those sorts of organizations. Um, but I'm seeing a, a wide spectrum of requests come in in terms of who's looking to navigate this. So um, in private sector, it's things like retail, right? Like the mall is sitting empty right now. Yes. Um, big questions around that. We're, we're changing our spending habits right now too, right? So um, retail is a big one. Um, there's a lot of uh, a talk around how workplaces will open up. Um, what does it mean to go back into the office? That's a general question that everybody has right now. And so that's something that people are trying to figure out. Um, media and entertainment is another big question, right? That's taken off. <laughs> um, we are all doing a lot of watching <laughs> these days. So, um, you know, the future of um, media, journalism, all of that is being called into question too. So um, there's, there's a really wide spectrum of organizations that are looking to, to grapple with what's going on. Okay. So one of the things you talk about is that you say there's a re we are in a release period, like a forest fire. So can you explain and sort of expand on that a little bit? Sure. Um, so I'll introduce you guys to a model <laughs> that's helpful to think about this through. So the model is called the adaptive cycle, and we get this from nature. We're really looking at nature and borrowing um, through systems thinking about how we can think about the systems that we create and construct. So um, if you think about a, a forest, it goes through an initial exploitation stage where a whole bunch of new species move in. There's, uh, you know, all sorts of growth happening. Um, some species are starting to flourish, some not so much. And then it goes into a conservation stage, which is things stabilize. Right, so the forest stabilizes, you get the forest kings, you get, um, you know, uh, lots of robustness, and then you go into potentially a release period. And a release period can be caused by something like a forest fire that rips through the system, burns it down, and, uh, you know, takes down what was. It destabilizes it completely. And then what comes next is a reorganization. And a reorganization doesn't necessarily mean what comes next is better, it's just new. It's new configurations. And so we call this the adaptive cycle because uh, systems cycle through those phases and those stages. So what COVID has done is come in as a fast acting event 
that has triggered a release period, kind of like a forest fire. It's exasperating the systems that were already in place. So we're seeing the problems that were already there get expanded and exasperated and come to the surface in new ways. And the question is, are we going to try and hold on to that conservation state um, by introducing artificial strategies that try to maintain the system that was, or are we going to allow this change to go forward and allow for new configurations to emerge? And again, that's not necessarily better things to emerge, but um, new things nonetheless. And so COVID presents us with an opportunity to rethink our systems, right? So when we're talking about things like systemic racism, we can examine our systems from that lens and say, okay, now that all the problems are coming up to the surface, how do we rethink this? How do we redesign this? And how can we do that at an accelerated rate? Because things are breaking down at a faster rate right now. So when you look at, um, you know, the opportunity to do better things for the planet, uh, are you seeing the opportunities there because of the pandemic as well? You know, like, for example, you know, all the planes are grounded right now. So is this the time that that we should be looking at, at, you know, making sure that when planes go up again, they're, they're maybe better for the environment, you know, are these the kinds of things that you're talking about to, to people or, or even looking at? Yeah, absolutely. There's a whole ton of opportunity that we can take advantage of right now, especially in relation to climate change. And other places are starting to do that in a very formal way. Um, so we know that South Korea, for instance, has included a very heavy climate change angle to their recovery plan for COVID. And so they followed the EU Green Deal style and they've worked in things like renewables into the recovery plan. Um, Amsterdam and the midst of this has decided that they're going to pilot something called donut economics, which is looking holistically at the environment and the different issues around the environment and integrating that into society in a much deeper way. Um, and in Canada, there's ha there have been talks about looking at how we can double up on some of these issues. So one of the, the big ways that um, government can trigger uh, a restart to the economy is usually through things like infrastructure build. So how can we ensure that that infrastructure uh, spending is green and uh, targeting things like renewables as well? And that's incorporated as part of the strategy. Okay. Um, so just quickly then, so, you know, you say it's, it's an un COVID is an unevenly distributed problem. What are some things we can do uh, right now, sort of in the short term to, to alleviate that? And, and, you know, I guess, I, I mean, I mean, I, it sounds like charity, donate to charity and help people, but mm -hmm. I mean, I think we have to do it obviously on a, a broader scale. So what are you suggesting to people? Yeah, it, it needs to happen at a very fundamental level. It has to go to a much deeper level. Otherwise, what we're doing is just creating band-aids um, and slapping them onto the system. And so that means going down to the root of every single system and looking at where are there opportunities to innovate and to do things differently um, that can you know, help set up for a better future. So um, one of the ideas I, I threw out, and I'm not sure who heard, <laughs> is around healthcare, right? So in hospitals, um, you know, we can't necessarily set up a hospital that functions in a day-to-day -day capacity that um, can absorb a pandemic, right? Because you have to amp up and you have to amp down. And when we're not in a pandemic scenario, uh, there's a different set of needs that are at play. So it's not that every single hospital needs a thousand ventilators. It might be that every single hospital should have 3D printing capacity and have the ability to print the materials as they need 
them and then to break them down when they don't need them. And so that kind of responsiveness is uh, the type of thing that we have to think about. But that means that we have to um, really break down and deconstruct how our systems are functioning and where those opportunities might exist. Okay. So as a futurist, analyst, just tell me in the last, you know, since this all sort of happened, um, are there, is there something that has, um, you've said, wow, that's, that's so innovative and that's so great. That's blown your mind. The DIY democracy that's happening on TikTok is just <laughs> mind blowing. <laughs> that's been, it's one of the most recent examples where I just went, oh my God, that's amazing. So what do you um, mean by that? Yeah. So um, if, for anyone who's not familiar with it, um, there was a, uh, a woman on TikTok who suggested that everybody go buy tickets to the Trump rally and just buy those tickets up and secure those places. So um, the Trump administration obviously looked at that and said, oh, my God, we've got a million people registered. Uh, you know, this is amazing. We're going to do so well. It turns out that those million people were teens on TikTok um, who decided that, you know, they don't get a vote, but they can participate in democracy in other ways and chose that as an opportunity to participate. Um, so we, we're seeing some really interesting behavior around that, around K-pop fans, which have also gotten involved and done things like blitzing around the hashtags and taking over those. But that's a, it, it's a really hopeful sign that, that is, it is. So you know, I think I, I've seen, well, it depends. I suppose it depends what size of, side of the political spectrum you're on and how you think about this, this topic. You know, I've seen it um, described as um, a hoax. I've seen it described as, you know, pranking people. And then on the other side, I've seen it called activism. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it really is interesting to see this sort of play out uh, in, that, in that space. So is there something then, so that's something you d sort of surprised you, is there something that you went, yeah, that's, t you know, you sort of saw this coming, um, that you were like, oh, I called it, I called it. <laughs> yeah, um, so the, the division that we're seeing, for instance, with the states right now, um, so the civil unrest aspect of this, it was almost inevitable. Um, this is what you get when you have a destabilized system and pressure being put on uh, a system that is already being pushed to its brink before something like this happens. So um, I started talking about civil unrest a while ago, like we're going to, we can expect to see that. Um, and down the road, that could translate into all sorts of other things. Um, the way I've been describing it uh, to people, and this is a little bit more science fiction, because some of my research goes into that angle, is as a transition point to a cyberpunk dystopia. So this is the kind of scenario that sets up for the Neil Stevenson's um, snow crash scenario where you have virtual worlds, you have lots of inequality, um, you have uh, high tech, but low life. That's the, the way it's kind of described and an uncertain future. And so, um, you know, it's a transition point that could lead to a lot of different things. But in terms of, you know, uh, things that might emerge that we don't want to see that we are seeing emerge, a cyberpunk dystopia scenario is a potential, especially for a country like the United States. Right. So does, are you are you um, looking at the future right now? Uh, we're, you know, we're not too far away from another election. Are you, do you have any predictions on how that will go? How are you feeling about it? Yeah, it's, it's really hard to predict right now which direction it's going to go in. Um, I think this is going to come down to voter suppression. 
that's really what's going to determine the outcome. How effectively can one side suppress votes? Um, and so, you know, sentiment wise, it's really hard to say because it's shifting all over the place. Um, you know, how this pandemic has been handled has been just a policy nightmare, <laughs> you know, through and through. But, um, you know, whether or not that translates into vote is always a big question. And so, um, you know, thinking back to the, the TikTok teens who are participating in democracy in any way that they can, um, my generation, who are millennials, not showing up to the polls. That's a problem, um, you know, and so our values are not being expressed in society because we're not expressing them through the means that we have and some of the most powerful mechanisms that we have to express them. And so um, I'm hoping that, you know, what's been happening over the past four years is enough to get my generation to the polls because that will make the difference. Exactly. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Leah. This was uh, very enlightening. Uh, so if people want to find out more about you and, and, and your work, where can they go? Um, you can go to my website, which is at leahzadie.com. And, um, you know, just to plug something else to have a different voice on what the future could be like, um, I did participate in a UNESCO forum. And I was the runt of the litter. <laughs> so this was a forum that included many women from around the world who are much smarter, much more accomplished than I am. It includes Canadian Catherine Hayhoe on the list as well. And so you can go on to YouTube on the UNESCO page and uh, just basically watch what other women around the world have to say about this. Okay, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster. And not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100%. Because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirtbags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.